CIUT 89.5 Toronto. this morning is Dina Ladd from Workers Action and uh, I'm delighted to have you on the Radical Reverend Show. Dina, this will be our first remote recording for the Radical Reverend Show, so you're a groundbreaker. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm very happy to be the guinea pig. <laughs> yes, um, so of course University of Toronto and Hart House where we normally broadcast from is shuttered right now and uh, it's uh, so we're all kind of learning to be remote at this point. Um, so the reason I wanted to have you on, Dina, is because you know the people that are being most affected by um, COVID nineteen are of course uh, workers and precarious workers, and uh, and I, I in particular I'm thinking of all those restaurant event workers, people who mainly live by tips as well. Um, what's happening with them? You have a sense. You're on the ground. What's happening? Um, well, it, it's pretty overwhelming, I have to say, um, and devastating. I think that we are seeing um, a lot of people lose their jobs, and especially in restaurants, um, who are doing any kind of work connected to entertainment and hospitality or tourism. I think that, um, on, and so I think that, you know, people are just, are just reeling from the impact and are just trying to think through April 1st, which is rent day and what that's going to mean, I think. And then also just basic necessities like food and obviously some of the grocery stores are sort of out of supplies. I think that should be sorted out pretty soon. The other kind of part of this is the workers who are required to work. Um, the cleaners, the folks who are personal support workers, the folks who are being asked to come in and do food service work as takeout. And, uh, and for them, um, they are in a, in a particularly difficult situation because nobody has access to paid sick days or emergency leave days. Um, the government just passed legislation yesterday around uh, paid, um, not paid, sorry, um, uh, job protected, unpaid leave, but that's not going to support uh, minimum wage workers and those who have low wages or precarious work. So I think that, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of cleaners who are not getting health and safety equipment to do their jobs properly. I don't want to go into work, but, but are being threatened with job loss. Same thing with personal support workers. So we're really, um, you know, trying to figure this out day by day as as things unfold. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one thing not to go into work; it's another thing not to pay your rent and feed your children, um, yes. which is which is going to be incredibly broad spread soon. 
um, I, and and people out there in, in listener land probably know you too, and we should touch on this uh, for the $15 minimum wage campaign that Workers' Action really spearheaded. Uh, and of course, with the election of the Ford government, we didn't get that. Um, but, you know, just is that kind of dead in the water or do you see, you know, what's happening with that campaign? Well, I, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, this the COVID-19 has really exposed the need for the kinds of uh, protections that we've been pushing for and that we actually did get briefly for a year, um, such as the no paid sick, day, uh, no sick notes, um, the two um, paid days, the additional eight personal emergency days that were job protected, more supports for retail workers and for those who are working part-time around schedule changes. Um, now, we, we lost all of that, and I think it's kind of ironic that the Ford government had to actually pass legislation yesterday to say to employers, no, you can't ask people to provide sick notes. And I think that, you know, they're recognizing that under a pandemic that that's not, you know, that we can't overburden our health system but you know even in other situations when we have um, like flu season for instance and you've got you know um, hallway medicine happening all the time ERs and doctors offices don't need to be clogged up with people asking for sick notes so I think that in some ways um, you know what what to me is really shocking is the lack of action by the Ford government to ensure that people have paid emergency leave days for you know either taking care of someone who's sick um, if they're themselves having to work right now and then they get sick for you know or maybe they're just not feeling well and they need to take two days off at this moment um, people don't have access to uh, any paid emergency leave days so I, I just sort of think that you know in some ways the government is abandoning many of the workers that are working in low wages. I mean, this has been happening since January. We saw, you know, obviously the Chinese community hit first with restaurants and grocery stores um, sitting empty. Then the Iranian community was hit. Um, and now it's everybody. And so the thing is, is that how are we going to make sure that the people who are the most vulnerable um, don't lose their housing, can actually afford food, and can take care of their children. And to me, this is, this is um, it's not rocket science. I think it's, it's really just trying to make sure that we have good public policy measures that, that start from the bottom up and ensure that people can actually take care of themselves. Uh, the federal government, of course, is involved in this and introduced um, some measures the other day. Um, perhaps you could just kind of go over uh, some of those measures and, um, what's happening there? Is this going to be the answer for workers or what? Well, there are, there are some measures, absolutely, as you've mentioned, that the federal government has done. So, for instance, um, what we have are uh, a couple of um, sort of benefits that the government has brought in. First of all, I think we have what's called the emergency care benefits which is for folks who um, can't qualify for EI, but are taking care of someone who's sick or in quarantine, or they themselves have fallen ill. 
that is um, a benefit that people will get every two weeks for 14 weeks. There's also the COVID emergency support benefits for people who are self-employed or for people who um, are maybe misclassified as self-employed and um, have lost their job. And so there's not a lot of information out about the rates of that. I think the biggest issue for us also is that, you know, if you're sick, um, they've waived the one week waiting period to get access to sick benefits under employment insurance, but you still need 600 hours to qualify. And so what we've been saying, I mean, even before COVID-19, that having 600 hours to be eligible to qualify is really quite a huge hurdle, especially for precarious workers and those who are working part time. And so in order to make employment insurance accessible, they, they need to make sure that, um, you know, that people actually can get on employment insurance uh, for sick benefits, let alone regular benefits. And so I think that that is really quite critical right now as well. Um, provincially, basically what we have is, is uh, job protected unpaid leave. So an employer can't fire you if you get sick and um, you know, and you're not well enough to come to work. And they've also legislated not asking for, employees cannot ask you for a sick note. Those are some of the um, measures that we have, but I think that, um, you know, and, and the federal government has also been talking about boosting the child, Canada Child Benefit, the GST credit, you know, ensuring that there's a six-month moratorium interest-free for students. I think the issue for us... Um, hey, just to, to interrupt you there for a second, I had a question about that from a student who, mm -hmm. um, who has OSAP payments. Um, they're provincial, not federal. What, what exactly does that mean when the government's giving a moratorium on student loan payments, the federal government? Well, well it's, it's hard to understand because um, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of us have a lot of questions, and in, in particular around student loans, we haven't been able to do any investigation. I mean, partly is that the helplines that have been set up, for instance, the Employment Insurance Helpline, um, we have been on hold for about an hour and a half and haven't managed to even get through. And so I think, you know, this crisis is also exposing the, the gutting of public services and under the Harper government, they gutted Service Canada and employment insurance offices across the country. And so no one can get through. And then just in terms of yesterday, you know, many of my coworkers and I have been trying to get through to um, the health and safety branch of the Ministry of Labor because we have a lot of workers contacting us um, wanting to um, exercise their right to refuse to work because they feel that in some situations they're being put in a very difficult situation around their health. Now, if you're trying to refuse to work, you're supposed to phone the Ministry of Labor um, and they're supposed to send out an inspector. Now, <laughs> people can't even get through on the phone lines, let alone having an inspector come um, to the to the workplace to check to 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 sort of determine whether or not it's safe for you to work. So, so the lack of public services, the lack of you know the sort of you know all these cuts that have been happening since Ford came into office, and 
with the Harper government before that on a federal level, we're really seeing that kind of, you know, expose the lack of access for regular people who are trying to just get some basic answers, you know, questions answered. I remember even when I was in politics under the Liberal government that the, uh, I think it was like one in a hundred workplaces would ever see a, a provincial government inspector for almost uh, any labor reasons. So, <laughs> um, yes. we had, we, I mean, we had, uh, even in that, in those days, we had people coming into our constituency office that, where they literally had not been paid. They'd done work and the employer just fired them and said, too bad. Um, and, uh, and, you know, of course, their major concern was to get a new job, not to fight with their previous employer. Uh, but again, we had all sorts of horror stories back then. So I can only imagine what, it, what it's like now, and especially with COVID-19. Um, you were talking about being at your office being contacted. Can you tell us, you know, tell us some of, some of what you're hearing from the front lines from, from workers, you know, obviously without mentioning names? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, as I've mentioned, the right to refuse unsafe work. So when people have felt that their own health has been under jeopardy or family members who are concerned about the situations that their family members are being put into at work, and wanting to be safe. Um, I think we're seeing a work intensification for sectors such as grocery store workers and cleaners where the demand is quite huge right now. And again, not seeing additional wages or hours being paid, but expected to do it under the same circumstances. Um, I think we are definitely having lots and lots of questions around how to apply for employment insurance, uh, sick benefits. And then we have, we work with a lot of workers who are undocumented and who are migrant workers and who are caregivers. And a lot of the undocumented workers that we work with are who do incredibly valuable work in our communities um, are losing their jobs and will not be able to access any of the emergency funds and will be not not able to access EI so we're frantically trying to work with food share to get food boxes to people so that they even have at least food um, that they can take care of their families so it's um, uh, ranging on a whole bunch of different things and things are changing as everybody knows on a day-by-day -day basis and so where we were on Monday and where we are today is very different in terms of, you know, um, still many, many questions, but, um, you know, things are getting a bit more clearer every day. But the biggest thing is, is that, you know, if we don't have folks covered by our healthcare system and by our labor protection, and if they're on temporary visas, um, they're also in a more vulnerable state to be able to not say no to their employer and having to, again, be subjected to working conditions that could put their health at risk, but have absolutely no right at this moment to leave the country, to go back home, or to be able to say, you know, to refuse work. Uh, one, of the, one of the items that's been touched on uh, by the gover both governments is uh, evictions and, uh, and landlords' um, responsibilities uh, here. I mean, it's one thing not to be evicted, uh, it's another thing, perhaps, um, to have your rent deferred and then find in a couple of months that you own three or four months all at once. What are you yeah. hearing? What are you hearing from tenants? 
Well, I think everyone's quite terrified of April 1st, to be honest. I think that um, if you've lost your job, like, you know, last week or this week, um, many, we, you know, it's, 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 uh, I don't think it's any surprise to any of your listeners that uh, most people live paycheck to paycheck, especially if you're working minimum wage. I mean, even the Canadian Taxpayers Association has been sounding the alarm about, about the, the sort of like high rate of debt and the sort of tenuous circumstances that many, many people are in because of precarious work. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think that this is a moment for the government's uh, levels of governments to look at some of the initiatives that have been happening in different parts of the world where there is basically, um, you know, you, you don't have to pay rent uh, or your mortgage payments for the next six months. Um, so there are definitely measures that can be taken to support workers at this moment. And I think it's really important that we all work together to push this. I think that we're not going to be able to get anything unless we fight for it. I think what we're seeing right now is sort of the bare minimum emergency measures come out. I think that we have to ensure that no one gets left behind in this moment and people are definitely being left behind and they're not thinking about rent, they're not thinking about parents who are having to stay home for two weeks and don't have any access to emergency leave provisions, just to just to name a couple of issues. And so, you know, we we as a community we need to really fight for these resources right now because um otherwise uh, we're not going to get them and you touched on something that's of course important too is that now that uh, childcare centers are closed and schools are closed uh i know we're still officially in march break um for schools but still this is going to go on for a while and uh working parents who don't have handy relatives are going to be up the creek too pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, um, as a parent myself, I mean, it's not like we can, um, uh, you know, we all know when March break happens, we, you know, (laughs) we're preparing it for a year in advance, um, because we know it's going to happen. But I think that, um, you know, for many, for many workers who, uh, you know, normally use, uh, city services, or you know, free uh, camps or programs during through our libraries and community centers, they they they're not going to have access to any of that, and so that's why we need um, emergency leave measures that are paid so that parents um, can actually stay home and take care of their children and have job protected paid leave so that they are not putting their own financial situation at risk by actually having to take care of their children and then not putting elderly people in their in their lives at risk by taking care of children who who you know could be potentially infected and so we know in Italy one of the reasons for the spread has been you know a lot of grandparents a lot of elderly got had to take care of their children uh, their grandchildren and that has um, increased the 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 infection rates and we've seen, you know, the horrific numbers of people, you know, being infected and dying who are elderly. And so we want to make sure that that doesn't happen here, too. But again, people need paid emergency leave days so they actually can exercise that and not put anyone else in jeopardy. 
uh, I, I would be remiss if we didn't also just uh, send out some rotten apples or raspberries to big business and banks <laughs> right about now, um, not just governments. Um, one of the uh, horrific little factoids that I heard, I'm one of the lucky ones who actually has a mortgage um, from mortgage brokers, that even though the rates have been slashed to virtually nothing, um, the banks are not passing those savings on at all. Um, in fact, the rates just for some people just went up a little bit because the bank's profits are being impacted. Um, this strikes me as being, you know, horrendous. Um, and again, if you get mortgage relief for a few months, just means you have to pay three times as much down the road. Um, so it's not like they're giving you a month free. Um, so there's that. Uh, uh, but and I want also just so it's out there in listener land in case people are wondering, because of course everybody's going to their banks and saying, "Oh, well, do I get a break on my mortgage?" And mostly the answer is no. Um, the other thing are is, is large businesses, particularly large businesses in the fast food. We've heard horror stories coming out of McDonald's and Tim Hortons. Uh, what are you hearing about that about those businesses? Yeah, I mean, I think that public pressure at this moment on those businesses really matters, to be honest. I think when you see the kind of price gouging that Shoppers Drug Mart has, you know, engaged in, you know, in increasing the price of, you know, basic necessities. And when you see, um, you know, big chain restaurants forcing people to go to work or not allowing them to take a day off if they're not well, I mean, that's where I think public pressure at this moment is really, really important because, you know, many of us are at home and, uh, you know, are are watching the news. And, and I think it's really critical that we hold these businesses responsible. I think that, you know, um, again, I think this crisis is also exposing the limits of capitalism, to be honest, um, in terms of the fact that profit is not, shouldn't be the guiding factor and people's health should be and the community's safety. And so, you know, those businesses need to just um, say, okay, well, you know what, we're going to invest money back into our workers and into their families because that's how our business is, is going to be able to stay alive. And I think if that was the case, then I think we would be very supportive of those businesses. But I have a feeling that, you know, those corporations who are not willing to do the right thing at this moment will face the consequences of that um, because we're all watching and we're all paying attention as to who treats their workers right and, and what kind of prices that they uh, put on at this moment. Are they taking advantage of us in this vulnerable moment or are they actually doing the right thing and those these are the questions that we need to really be pushing and asking and i think choosing to where, where to spend our money you know um and we at the workers action center are all, obviously we're we're you know hearing uh from workers and we're going to be challenging those employers when people come forward and share those names with us and we will challenge them if they are violating people's rights or taking advantage of people and discriminating against them at this particular moment, which we always do anyways. But I think it obviously right now it's even more critical. Um, by the way, if you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to the first remote broadcast from the Radical Reverend, and I have been talking to Dina Ladd from Workers Action Center, um, uh, activist extraordinaire. Dina, I just wanted to let you know that the next interview I'm doing in this hour will be with one of the organizers from Fedora, who successfully uh, managed to unionize 
um, you know, workers in a very precarious gig economy yes. situation. Um, do you think um, from being on the front lines that this will lead to increased unionization among um, exactly the kind of workers we're talking about? I mean, do you see a kind of a rise in activism among workers when they see just how bad it can be? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, when times are really rough and we've never had this type of pandemic before. And so I think not in my lifetime anyways, I've seen anything to this extent. And so I think that, you know, workers will be seeing how they get treated and how um, and what they can do about it. And I think the Fudora organizing drive and the, the recent decision at the Ontario Labor Relations Board, I think showed other workers that it's possible to challenge these false designations where they're trying to deny that you're an employee. Um, where clearly every day you're being told where to go, what to do, and how much you'll be paid by the employer. And so as our jobs, and there are many jobs like that, um, uh, most of the cleaners that I work with um, are misclassified as independent contractors or self-employed and are in exactly the same situation. But, um, you know, it's difficult to find people because they're not, you know, together, they're not sort of, connected with an app um so i think that for us um i think it's i think for many workers it's a wake-up call especially when they find out sort of how their employer is treating them at, at a time of a crisis like this and so i think we are certainly going to be encouraging workers to organize and to take on their employers and to not let this crisis um you know, stop them from doing that. But there is a lot of fear, right? Because a lot of people have lost their jobs. And so I think that's also something that we have to kind of be aware of. And, you know, a lot of people are not going to necessarily want to challenge what's going on. But I think um, we'll be doing the best we can to support people as much as we can. We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, speaking to Dina Ladd here on the Radical Reverend Show, uh, CIUT 89.5 FM, uh, about what uh, uh, COVID-19 has meant for workers and, and how little really is being done to help them from both big government and big business. Um, Dina, I wanted to just finish by asking about you and your family. How are you doing? <laughs> well... Well, um, I have a, I have a, you may have been hearing in the distance. Your puppy. Yes. I have a six month old puppy. Aww. Uh, he's very happy that we're all home, but is uh, requiring a lot of attention, which is very difficult when you're trying to work. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, my, I'm, I feel very fortunate. I mean, obviously I'm, we've been all, m many of my co-organizers, we've been working around the clock this week, trying to figure out how to support people in this crisis. So it's been a very stressful week, I have to say. And I think everybody's feeling a real sense of um, anxiety about what's happening with their family, their friends, their neighbors, and their community. And, you know, just dealing with basic necessities like getting groceries to, you know, dealing with our children who are at home and wondering what does this mean and then you know trying to support people who are obviously going through a really hard time so I think this has been an incredibly stressful <laughs> a few weeks. Um, is but, your center uh, open? Is, is, are the offices actually open for Workers Action? Are you working remotely right now? So the offices are open for appointments only so what we're what we're doing is our hotline is open 
and we are obviously distributing food boxes and trying to do that basic support. Um, but if people are wanting to get assistance around employment insurance claims, um, you know, if, if English is their second language and they're needing supports to walk through um, different forms and those kinds of issues, we're absolutely making appointments, um, but it is appointment only at this moment, just because of you know needing to follow the health guidelines at this point at this of moment. Course. So, so could you uh, not to make more work for you, but could you give out uh, your uh, coordinates if if there are yes, people that really don't know you exist and would love to know know you? Yes. So mm -hmm. the hotline number is four one six five three one zero seven seven eight. And on the um, workersactioncenter.org website, we will be posting, um, you know, information. We have new information going up potentially later on today uh, that sort of guides people through, um, you know, applying for employment insurance or dealing with some of the common questions that we're getting. So they can check out the workersactioncenter.org. And then if people are interested in fighting to make sure that there is decent protection and emergency leave days, you can go on the 15 and Fairness website, um, so 15andfairness.org, and there's a, an online petition. And again, lots of analysis and information about what are the announcements and, and what does this really mean for workers. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dean Ladd from Workers Action for being on the Radical Reference Show. Stay safe. Thanks, Sherry. CIUT 89.5 Toronto Okay, let's start talking. Uh, I'm doing my first remote radio show here on CIUT 89.5 FM, The Radical Reverend, with you, uh, Sherry DeNovo my other moniker. Uh, and uh, today, of course, like last week, it's all going to be about COVID-19, but we want to talk about workers today and how this is really impacting. Um, just finished an interview with Dina Ladd from Workers Action, and now I'm delighted to have Thomas McKechnie on the line. Thomas, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you. For, thank you for having me. Uh, you're fading in a little bit in and out. I don't know where you are, but um, if you could stabilize, yeah. that would be good. <laughs> um, yeah, so the reason that I really wanted you on, Thomas, is uh, a landmark ruling has uh, come down, of course, just before the pandemic hit us, and that was that Fedora workers, of which you are one, can unionize. This is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and first of all, because it recognizes that you are employees and not independent contractors, and of course, um, that you can unionize. Tell, tell us about that. We need some good news. Mm -hmm. It is good news. Um, so for a number of years, uh, Fedora has been misclassifying its uh, careers as independent contractors in order to uh, avoid some basic responsibilities that all will employers have to their workers. Um, this is a business model that you see popping up more and more with these sort of uh, tech Silicon Valley-esque kind of uh, uh, companies. Um, who are looking to, who, who under the guise of innovation and disruption uh, are just trying to ignore the sort of basic labor rights that uh, workers have fought for for so long. Uh, and so a group of us have come together and uh, gone through a union drive, a card signing campaign to get the various workers uh, of Fedora sort of signed up for the union. 
uh, and then submitted our application uh, after a, a hard, hard nearly year of, or hard more than a year of organizing um, on July 31st of last year. Um, Fudora uh, challenged the legitimacy of our submission, saying that as independent contractors, we were not allowed to form a union. Um, we went through a long uh, and, uh, for me, terribly dull uh, uh, legal process, uh, which involved testimony from various uh, workers about their experiences. Uh, and the vice chair of the Ontario Labor Relations Board has decided that we are not independent contractors, that we do have the right to form a union, and we have the right to access the same kinds of labor protections uh, as any other employee. Uh, as you said, this is a landmark decision. This is the first time that a uh, app-based job like this uh, has uh, sought for and uh, gained the legal right for recognition. Uh, and so uh, this is, in my mind, the beginning of a big shift uh, moving forward. Which is incredible. And, and thank you on behalf of everyone for this amazing victory. Uh, so how has, uh, if we kind of just for a second, I know it's difficult to do, but we set COVID-19 aside for a minute. Uh, how was, how did this change when you went back into work the next day? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the, um, uh, the feeling in the air had shifted. Um, because the, the thing that, uh, I, I just had this sort of irrepressible desire to tell uh, strangers on the street that I was not an independent contractor. Uh, I just wanted to, everyone I came up to the South Line, I wanted, did you know? Um, <laughs> uh, so there's this real feeling of um, possibility in the air and this real feeling of um, that the, the large, because so many people told us this was impossible, even prominent members of the labor movement told us this was impossible. Uh, and so it was a really, you know, we don't have to walk too far away from COVID-19 to say uh, that it's wonderful to feel as though the things we feel are impossible are not impossible, that they are uh, uh, sometimes within reach, within, uh, if, if, if you put the word. And what union are you a member of? You should tell people in listener land that. Yes. Um, so the union is called Foodsters United. Uh, we're affiliated with uh, the Canadian Union of Postal Workers. We're going to be Courier Local 10-4. Uh, and the the postal workers were sort of were instrumental in this fight, uh, in that they allowed the because this came from the workers and was always guided by and ran by the workers. Um, but uh, and uh, CUPW gave us sort of the infrastructure that allowed us to uh, most effectively harness and channel our energy. Uh, I think about like uh, um, uh, channeling the flow of a river or something like that, where it is the river that is moving and it's the river that's uh, doing the work. Um, the channels help uh, contain and direct that energy uh, to its greatest effect. And CUPW, of course, has been long known in, in the union movement in this country as being um, one of the more progressive bodies, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of their work around, you know, um, the Green New Deal, uh, their work mm -hmm. around community banking, all of that, CUPW. So for listeners, if you're kind of putting, you know, things together in your in your heads, uh, who, who is and what are CUPW apart from delivering mail, there are a whole lot of things. So, uh, mm -hmm. and it kind of makes sense, you're delivering food. Um, okay. So let's let's now talk about that and these days um mm. uh were uh, was there any repercussions for management any repercussions um from your your union drive um it's one of the sort of structural problem challenges is that it's difficult to tell um what if, if there are repercussions i don't we haven't had very many people speak uh directly about feeling as though they're being targeted because of their union activism uh, the, the bigger stumbling blocks were just sort of the structural challenges of organizing a gig economy. Um, one of them being that um, because Fedora doesn't uh, is uh, has sort of 
is trying to wash its hands of any responsibility towards its workers, uh, they have no reason to take anyone off payroll because um, we're paid by the delivery. Uh, we have no we have no benefits. We have no uh, health care plans or anything like that that they would need to be paying into. We don't they don't we um, they don't collect uh, employment insurance. Any of the normal responsibilities an owner has to a worker, uh, they don't have or they claim to not have. Um, and so when we filed for certification, they came back with a list that was um, probably twice a list of employees for Fedora that was probably twice the length of the actual uh, number of people working. And there were people on there who hadn't worked in three months or six months or nine months or 15 months or had never worked at all. They'd gotten the app, but they'd never worked a single shift. Um, but Fudor wanted to count all of those people as eligible voters, up to and including one person named Logistics Test, uh, <laughs> who I think might not actually be a worker. <laughs> so there's that. Um, now, since, since you did get the positive verdict, uh, what happened then? What did the employer do then? Um, mm -hmm. What's happened since? Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that we noticed immediately was that uh, Fudora has done its best to um, uh, appear as though we are much better friends than we are. Um, uh, and that they sort of quickly after we submitted, uh, they released a big survey to the workers saying like, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk to you because Bosses love to suddenly want to often like want to start talking immediately after you've successfully formed a union, um, uh, and so they've definitely been trying to play nice. Um, and but I think in a big way they're just trying to pretend we don't exist. Um, and so uh, one thing I'm excited for in the in the months upcoming is making it very very difficult for them to pretend that. Yeah. Uh, and, and in terms of any change, I mean, obviously, this just gives you the beginning right to negotiate. Are negotiations happening now, or where is that at? Um, we're, st we're still in the last, the, uh, the, the decision from the Ontario Labor Relations Board uh, was, uh, I was I've, I've been saying that uh, that one's for everyone, ours is still coming. Um, uh, that we need to, we, we still, we're still in the legal process of deciding who uh, gets to be counted as a voter um, because, as I said, they had like twice as many workers on the list uh, that they claimed for, were eligible for voting as there were actually workers. Um, and so we have to continue to wrangle with them uh, over that. Um, we think that we'll be into sort of first uh, contract negotiations um, in the sort of uh, within a few months. But that, yes, there is still a part of the legal process left to go through. Um, uh, and so, in, but in the meantime, um, I don't know, the, the, the Ontario Labor Relations Board gave us permission to form a union, but a union is only really a thing if the workers are, uh, they are activating it. And so the work we're doing right now is in the sort of deep organizing of, because until we're ready to put hundreds of couriers on the street, um, we're not as a union ready to uh, fight for the things we need. And so that's the work that we're doing now is um, deepening those connections and building those. Uh, and some of the big work that we started uh, within the last couple of days um, as a part of that is figuring out what our response to COVID-19 is, um, how we can take, like, so many of the, um, the, the, you know, there have been announcements from the federal and provincial government about support for workers, but none of those worker, none of that support uh, is necessarily going to go to independent contractors, gig workers like ourselves, and none of that support is definitely going to folks who are not citizens or not permanent residences, not mm -hmm. permanent residents, which a lot of our workers are. Uh, and so our, our response has been about uh, or the, some of the work we're doing now uh, in organizing is figuring out what the workers need um, and how to and how to how we can provide those things for each other, um, 
and so that's uh, that's the, that's the work forward is is uh, deepening the connections and strengthening the bonds and building the kind of infrastructures um, so that we don't you know because an organization as large as ours can't be a small group of people it has to be everyone uh, and so it's about building that uh, doing that deep organizing to build a mass participation union. Yeah, one of the the questions I asked Dina in the first half hour of the show is. Uh, uh, about uh, now that for many, many workers, uh, precarious workers, and of course food service workers, um, the bottom has just dropped completely out. Um, mm. Many uh, restaurants are closed, they've lost their jobs, they lived on tips mostly anyway. Um, there's, uh, you know, when we went through the actual uh, facts of the federal and provincial announcements, I mean, first of all, it's really, <laughs> Um, uh, you know, there's because of the cutbacks in the past to uh, public services, it's really difficult just even to access a government worker to find out how to apply for benefits, mm. let's say. Um, you know, the lines are always busy, uh, you can't get through, uh, nobody knows what's going on, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so right now, it, these are in the range of promises rather than actualities, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, uh, and it and yet rent comes due on April the first, right? Mm -hmm. um, and people have children to feed, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I asked her, um, especially in light of your victory, um, if this, if she thought that this would drive people. Um, to uh, further moves to try to organize and unionize, um, especially in some of the large, you know, sort of multinational food-based businesses that are mm. fast food businesses. Um, and, and she was, she said sort of 50-50 because she said that, of course, people are also very frightened and um, are looking for work and that's not a good populace to organize in. Um, one, of the, one of the suspicions out there, you know, among restaurant staff is that the work is being picked up by people like uh, Fedora and DoorDash and delivery services because now most restaurants are going to delivery. So I was wondering if you could talk about that whole picture of what you're coming up against as you're doing your job and walking into restaurants that are now no longer really restaurants. Yeah. What's happening out there? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I've been out the last couple of days, and it's been uh, a little on the slow side, uh, despite the fact that uh, the only way that people can access restaurant food is by delivery. Um, got a couple of theories around that. I think people are a lot of people are um, concerned about the sort of uh, transmission policy or uh, possibility of couriers because we do go into uh, into and out of so many different places. We're touching so many doors and etc. Um, so some of the work that we've been doing in the union is is just about like basic information uh, about how to uh, uh, how to be um, uh, how to do sanitation, uh, how to make sure that you're not um, transmitting anything while while we're working. Mm -hmm. uh, a challenge about that is that um, all of the restaurant often the restaurants that are closed are refusing to let couriers use their washrooms. Um, oh. be, right uh so like we can't we can't wash our hands which we should be doing so very very regularly based on what we're doing um especially because we don't we're um people are uh, struggling so much financially that there are folks who might have uh, a cold or something um and might want to work or might need to work because as you said rent rent is still due um and so i thought yeah we found order i found order volume has been down i think people are concerned about transmission i think people are uh, I don't. I think people are concerned about the money that they have, and so they're not necessarily gonna um, 
um, going to be ordering in in the same way. People are also at home, and so they have the ability. Like uh, such a big, the reason that so many people order delivery is because they're exhausted from a day's day of work and are have half an hour to eat something, and so they just like sit, you know get someone to bring it to them. And so I think that those all of those things are leading to order volumes coming down, and all and the fact that order volumes are down, and the fact that people are scared about working, and the fact that people are uh, couriers are self isolating if they're a bit sick um, because that we real we realize how how uh, uh, high risk and how high chance of transmission there are. Um, uh, so this again, where people are facing significant financial strain on these base on this basis, uh, and so that's some of the work that the so the union is working to try to bring people together around what the things that they need and the things that they have in order to share them. Um, but because these things uh, are dire, like we were, some folks were expecting it to there to be a big spike as everyone who's in quarantine starts getting delivery, um, but we haven't. I haven't seen that yet. Um, um, and there's just like also a lot of other sort of um, nascent factors in the market where things like um, there's a lot more Uber 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 uh, in, uh, continues to be entirely oversaturated with workers. The workers are have, having trouble making enough orders to make uh, a minimum make even minimum wage, um, and that's exacerbated by the fact that other people have that, that folks have lost main gigs and are so turning to their side gigs like things like Uber. Uh, which is great for the Uber, the company. They just have more workers, but it's, but it's not good for the individual couriers who can't, uh, on an individual basis, make enough money. Yeah, I mean, we 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 forget about the role. I mean, we, people are looking at government, and government is absolutely not doing enough. But but also the role of big business is is particularly disturbing. It seems to me. Um, um, there are so many instances to point to, uh, but. Uh, but one one interesting note that I heard on the news is that Amazon is hiring a hundred thousand workers, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I one has to kind of chuckle about these things. But I, but the fear is, of course, exactly what you're saying is that everybody gets a pittance and nobody gets enough to be mm -hmm. able to to pull together a living from any of this. Um, is that? Uh, it sounds to me like that's a little bit of what you're seeing. Yes, that's it. We're definitely seeing that. Um, we're seeing lower volumes, and we're seeing higher numbers of couriers who want to be working. Um, uh, and it's uh, it's stretching people pretty hard. Um, the Amazon workers is sort of interesting. Talking about, I was on a I was on a conference call with a group of uh, of people doing organizing around COVID nineteen, uh, and one of them was a group of Amazon workers who were saying that one thing they're fighting for right now is just enough time to go and wash their hands. Um, that like when they have enough so that when they sneeze, they can go and when they, when, you know, they cough into their hand, they can go, oh shit, I should go wash my hands. Uh, probably shouldn't swear in the radical reverence. It's okay. Career. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they can go and wash their hands, but they're like the, the, uh, because of the increased, uh, demand for Amazon, uh, packages right now, there's like even more stuff coming through. And so Amazon workers who are already like, um, uh, struggling so much to just like deal with the basic, uh, necessities of life while they were working. Uh, are now even even further stretched, and really, the, they had a there was an instance of COVID nineteen at an Amazon warehouse in New York, uh, and the, to me that's inevitable. The, all of these things coming from all these different places being handled by all these different people. Of course, there would be transmission, and so we have to have, and so we need the kinds of this is where the situations where worker protections and societal protections are the same thing, because if the workers don't have the right to go and like you know take their washer breaks and wash their hands and maintain good sanitation procedures there will be transmission and that transmission will go, will, will carry forward um, to, uh, to people in their homes. And so these are these situations where these companies like Fedora, like Uber, like, like Amazon, that are fundamentally premised on 
uh, just squeezing the absolute uh, maximum profit out of their workers are not only a threat to the workers themselves, but they're a threat to society in general. Absolutely, and uh, and quite frankly, um, not being held to account, uh, which brings me to another discussion with you that I really wanted to have. And you wrote a wonderful play. I went to see it. I was <laughs> impressed. Um, uh, and and perhaps you can tell the listeners about that play, its reception, and what it was about, because I think it's incredibly pertinent to what we're talking about. Um, I've actually written two plays that are quite oh, pertinent to what we're talking okay. about, so I'm not sure which one you're talking about. Well, um, the, one that we, the, the one that was at uh, the Fringe Festival that I saw, when was that? Seems like yes, it was, yeah, yes. Yeah, remembering the Winnipeg General. Yes. Um, there was the, the Winnipeg General strike, for those who don't know, was Canada's greatest labor action. Happened in May to June of 1919, and for uh, about six weeks, uh, two-thirds of the workers in Winnipeg uh, were on strike. Um, they paralyzed the city, and the Russian Revolution had just kicked off two years earlier, and so the sort of ruling class was terrified. But if you look at like what the people were talking about and what they were striking around, it's the exact same thing as we're facing today. They were talking about uh, the um, uh, the rate of inflation, uh, like like uh, um, the rate of inflation driving up cost of goods that people couldn't afford without um, anyone getting any, getting raises, so that people couldn't uh, afford to uh, pay for basic necessities, and folks wanted the right to form a union. Uh, and so literally the food workers are fighting for both of those things. Um, and so it's one of those interesting things, I, I talked about this a minute ago, that um, under the guise of innovation, these tech companies are coming in um, and, and just sort of like large uh, corporations in general. And uh, they're talking about being sort of like innovative or agile. And what they are is just coming right back to sort of 19th century labor stuff. Uh, and so this is a situation that was, in a, uh, and there is interesting resonances between that uh, and now. Um, in that, like, that was a, um, a massed collective action, um, in sort of, th that is the kind of action that is required to make a, a better world. Uh, and we're in this moment right now where we're all sort of, um, wh whether it's, um, the, the mutual aid of making sure everyone has enough, um, can, can, can pay their rent and has their groceries picked up, um, up to sort of like the, just the broad sort of social isolation, um, we're invested in a large collective project. Uh, and this play was an attempt to sort of um, animate uh, this is this really exciting historical moment um, in a way that was um, uh, fun and funny and engaging and um, sad and heartbreaking and beautiful. Um, because what I want to do is broaden people's sense of what is possible. Because um, I remember reading about the Winnipeg General Strike, I was like, they took over a city. They shut a whole city down. Like, this is what we can do if we work together. Uh, and so that was a play that I'd written that I was really excited about. Um, because I think that's the sort of first work of those of us, uh, those th those of us uh, radicals out there, um, uh, is to uh, expand people's sense of what is possible, uh, and to uh, elevate the idea that through like large collective action we can do incredible things, uh, and we can do things like protect ourselves from pandemic viruses, and we can do things like take over whole cities in mass strikes. Um, but these are these things that can happen when we work together, and so I'm really excited about the possibilities of right now where. Um, like Dina was talking about, as you sort of talked, mentioned in your conversation with Dina, uh, that um, we're doing this kind of organizing now because we need it, uh, and that that's um, a real strong tie between us, between right now and then, in that play, um, is the sort of desperate necessity of it, um, and I also hope that it can lead to as amazing results as a, as a general strike. Now, there was another play you did too, which was mm -hmm. a little bit more intimate, about a couple. Tell mm -hmm. us about that one. <laughs> yes, that was a play that I wrote called The Jungle with my friend Anthony McMahon. Yes. Um, uh, the play was essentially, um, 
the best way to describe it is that it's a very Toronto love story about two people who work too many jobs trying to find uh, time to love and care about each other in this little like stolen moments they have. Um, and that that play and those two performers sort of interrupt the play in a number of faces and look at the large sort of structural analysis, a larger, more structural analysis of uh, what's happening that is trying to answer the question, uh, why can't Jack and Veronica get ahead? Um, which is a pretty simple question uh, and a very complex question. Uh, and so it's this like beautiful love story about immigration and family and living together um, with a constant eye to the fact that these social problems of two people who love each other who can never see each other don't occur in a vacuum. They're, they're, and, they are And a very events. funny play, I must say, Thank too. You. Thank you. Um, and uh, it reminded me, I, I have to say that it reminded me a little bit of, and I'm going to age myself now, but of uh, Godard films, um, Jean mm. Godard, who... Um, in, in his film Weekend, in, totally interrupted the narrative to do just this Marxist screed about economics. Mm. Uh, there's some guy talking. So if you ever, if you haven't seen Weekend, do check it out. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and so your play uh, would do the same thing. It interrupted, you know, the love story to give a little lecture about um, how capitalism works, mm. <laughs> which, uh, which I thought was great. Well, that was very much where, where, where Anthony and I started with this play, was this recognition that, um, that uh, economics generally, but like capitalism specifically, is sort of the greatest force affecting so many people's lives, but that that force has become so normalized that it's not, that it has become invisible. Um, and Marxist is really um, beautiful analysis of just like how, of just like very simple, important math about like how profit is generated. And profit is generated by, as we know, by the workers. Um, but uh, it's, you know, profit can be this sort of like uh, vague esoteric concept where you're like, oh yeah, companies do things to make money. And we're like, but how does that work? Um, and where does that come from? And how does it sustain itself? And so, yeah, the bounce back and forth between like this like beautiful tragedy, tragedy of these two people's lives and the sort of challenges that they face. Um, and then also the um, uh, sort of the structures that put that in place. Um, yeah. So are there any more plays in the future? Are you working on something now? Oh, I'm perpetually working on something. <laughs> um, I'm currently, um, uh, I have a nice little small project again with uh, Anthony and Guillermo, um, uh, Anthony who I wrote Jungle with and Guillermo who directed it, where we're gonna try to adapt War and Peace. Um, uh, and so, uh, so that's one major project we're working on. Um, and then I have a number of other sort of interesting smaller things. I'm interested in making a, I have a one-on-one -on -one sort of conversation that either can be had just with two people or could be two people in front of an audience called anti-capitalist career counselor. Um, and the sort of idea behind it is that I have a sort of talent for connecting people, like sort of like listening to people and seeing them and holding what they're going through. Uh, and then also with connecting people to where they can plug in in the struggle. Um, because there's not, um, everyone has something wonderful to offer. Uh, and it's when we're working from our gifts and from our um, and our passion uh, that we're our most effective and that we're our most we're most capable of sustaining ourselves in this. So I'm interested in like creating this thing where it's a conversation where I help someone figure out how they, with their life right now, can 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 uh, best help overthrow capitalism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, and uh, uh, thanks so much for speaking to Thomas McKechnie here on the Radical Reverend Show and. Uh, uh, and keep safe, Thomas. So we're, uh, Tom, Thomas is also a member of uh, the congregation at Trinity St. Paul's. And to let you out, uh, know out there in Radio Land, uh, we are going to be 
online uh, for church uh, starting this Sunday. So stay tuned at 1030. You can watch us on Facebook or on the website, Trinity St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice of the Arts. Uh, do tune in for that. Uh, and um, and again, thank you, Thomas. You're kind of the new employee, aren't you? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the gig gig uh, gig worker, uh, fedora uh, rider, uh, playwright extraordinaire. So mm -hmm. take care and be safe. Thank you, Sherry. Be well. Until next time, uh, to everyone on the Radical Reverend Show. Stay safe, everyone. Ooh, So hard, don't nobody know my trouble but God. Don't nobody know my trouble but God. Oh, Lord, and my trouble so hard.